We all have mental health challenges. We all have some experience with this, some to greater or lesser degrees than others. And whether it's our own personal experience or whether it's the people that we love and the people that we serve who are experiencing mental health challenges. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there. Welcome back to Wisdom for Wellbeing. Today, we are joined by the amazing Dr. Lauren Tober. Dr. Lauren Tober is a clinical psychologist and yoga teacher with a passion for health, healing, happiness, and awakening. She is the founder of the Center for Mind-Body Wellness in Mullumbimby, Australia, and she teaches mental health-aware yoga trainings as well as running several highly acclaimed online courses. Lauren believes that happiness is our true nature and that yoga, gratitude, authenticity, compassion, creativity, and community help us to cultivate happiness in our lives on an everyday basis. In today's interview, Dr. Lauren Tober will share with you a bit about mental health aware yoga. This is really important, both as someone who might be seeking a yoga class where you can feel safe and secure, knowing that as Dr. Tober shares, a lot of people look to yoga when they are experiencing anxiety, depression, or overwhelm and actually continue their practice of yoga because of the mental health benefits that it brings into their lives. If you're a yoga teacher or a psychologist, you will be equally interested in understanding how we can create such a safe space for healing, even understanding that as a yoga teacher, you are not necessarily a therapist, but that you are providing an adjunct therapeutic service. So it's really important to have an understanding of mental health and how to facilitate this safe space, which Dr. Tober explains so beautifully. And I would certainly encourage you if this interview resonates with her to check out the training itself. But without further ado, let's have a listen. Here's Dr. Lauren Tober now. So welcome Lauren to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. I am delighted to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much for, for having me here. I am. I feel really blessed. So I first had the pleasure of meeting you in a training I was actually doing where you were in Adelaide, Australia, which is where I'm based. And I feel really privileged to have connected with you then and to get to have this time with you here today. Oh, likewise. It was such a beautiful training and such a great opportunity to get to know each other. Yeah, it certainly it certainly wasn't for the listeners who have maybe not had the pleasure of meeting you um, in person yet or hearing from you. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about who you are and the amazing work that you're doing? Sure, I'd love to. So my name is Lauren Toba. I am trained as a clinical psychologist, a yoga teacher, and a certified iRest meditation teacher. So I'm based in Malambimbi in Australia, and I run the Center for Mind Body Wellness, which is a is a kind of holistic, integrative wellness center. I also um, run Mental Health Aware Yoga, which is a training program for yoga teachers, teaching yoga teachers about mental health. So. 
um, lots of people come to yoga for mental health reasons, but yoga teachers aren't actually trained in their training about mental health, mostly not at all. Um, and so I think that yoga is, is an amazing, um, amazing place to, to come and to be present with ourselves and, and nurture our mental health. Um, and so my mission is to support yoga teachers to make that so. That's incredible. And that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because more and more we're hearing about how yoga is really beneficial for mental health and stress reduction, but how interesting that yoga teachers haven't received specific training in this area. Yeah. Yeah. I think more and more, more and more yoga teachers are interested in it. It's been really interesting the last year as I've been sharing these, these trainings, how much interest there has been in it. So I think yoga teachers are hungry for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, traditionally, it's kind of, well, traditionally in the West, anyway, it's been outside the domain of yoga teachers to understand, to understand this stuff. But as mental health is either on the rise or um, people are speaking more openly about it, I'm not sure which, which, which is which, um, that, that there's been a lot more interest in people coming to yoga for mental health reasons. And yoga teachers really wanting to do the best they can to support their students. You know, yoga teachers are these amazing groups people that really want to show up for their students and really be a, really be of service and so they're, they're really starting to understand how important it is not just to prevent back pain or to help somebody stretch their muscles or get tighter abs but also to, to support people with their mental health as well with that would it be worth us kind of at this point even defining what mental health or you know mental health challenges are well, in the training, we look at depression, anxiety, stress, and trauma. So that's the focus of what, of what we look at in, in the Mental Health Aware Yoga training. And in the training, we, we look at both the DSM-5 diagnosis. Um, the, so the DSM-5 is a diagnostic and statistic manual, and this is the diagnostic tool that psychologists and psychiatrists and some psychiatrists use to diagnose mental, mental illness. So we look at yoga from a Western psychology point of view, but but we also understand that one, not everyone's going to receive a diagnosis. Two, not everyone's interested in getting a diagnosis. And three, just because you don't meet this diagnostic criteria, this kind of arbitrary measure of what these diagnoses are, that you're not suffering in, in some way. So in the training, we learn about what mental illness is from a Western psychology model, but we also look at it in a more broader context outside of the, the diagnostic model. And just because you don't fit into the box, it doesn't mean that you might not be suffering in some way or might not benefit from some support, whether it's yoga or otherwise. That makes a lot of sense. So there are traditionally these criteria around the DSM mm -hmm. label of anxiety, depression, or trauma. But as yeah. individuals, we might have different experiences that may or may not align with this that cause us suffering. And yoga teachers are looking to support us in, in this, I guess, challenge, this, this struggle that we might be in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that's really important to me about this work is understanding that we're all in this together. So whether we're yoga teachers, whether we're psychologists, whether we're lawyers or doctors or parents or whatever, we all have mental health challenges. There's no kind of us and them. It's not like the people with mental health challenges over there and the rest of us are over here. We all have 
some experience with this, some to greater or lesser degrees than others. And whether it's our own personal experience or whether it's the people that we love and the people that we serve who are experiencing mental health challenges, we can all benefit from taking some kind of action to support our, our mental health, whether we meet diagnostic criteria or not. And it's it, it, it just to me, it's so important to understand and to, to fully kind of appreciate and embody that we're all in this together. That's very connecting. And mm-hmm. I think that really destigmatizes, you know, you mentioned that we were talking more openly about mental health and that that was increasing alongside, mm-hmm. you know, prevalence going up. But yeah, this movement to destigmatize it, I think is quite powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually been really beautiful in the trainings that I've been running is, is that the, you know, the teachers have started to talk about their own challenges as well. And so not only are we sharing how we can support our students, but we're sharing our own journeys and and our own ways that yoga and other things have helped to support our own, our own mental health. That sounds very reflective. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I guess with that, before we kind of talk a little bit more about the mental health aware yoga training, I was thinking since we've been talking about increased prevalence, do you, want to explain to the listeners you know I guess the the likelihood that someone might experience anxiety or depression and maybe talk through a little bit about what that might mean for them although Mm -hmm. it would be different for everyone Mm -hmm. so it's it's different for everyone it's different in different countries it's also different how you measure it if you're looking at clinical levels or subclinical levels but you you know the research tells us that one in five people have experienced a diagnosable mental illness in the past 12 months So, you know, if you think about five people, you know, and most of us know more than five people, um, you know, think about how many friends you have on Facebook, (laughs) one in five of those will have experienced statistically a diagnosable mental illness. And so that doesn't take into consideration um, subclinical levels um, at all. You know, we all, we all go through stuff. You know, this is my technical word for it. We all have our stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, for some people it's depression or anxiety. For some people it's some kind of health related thing, fatigue or cancer or broken leg or broken heart from a relationship. Um, It might be financial. We're, We're all going through our own stuff and it shows up in different ways and the way that affects us is different um but yeah we've all got our stuff oh i think that's a really nice and connecting again way of looking at it that we've all got our stuff and it's about us seeking resources to support us through our stuff and then allowing Mm -hmm. us perhaps to show up more fully to support those we care about i've been trying to think of a more kind of professional word (laughs) than stuff (laughs) but i just keep coming back to it (laughs) the professional might cut some of us out (laughs) stuff is something we can all get (laughs) quite quotable (laughs) you know some other research which i which i um found really interesting there was a um, some research done by a guy called stephen penman quite a few years ago now um in 2005 i think it even might have been his phd study and he looked at the kind of the status of yoga in australia and he surveyed i think like over 3,000, nearly 4,000 yoga students and teachers in Australia and um, asked a lot of different questions. Um, at the time, um, I think I was living in London and um, I remember this questionnaire coming through this kind of while ago. Um, and, you know, his results around mental health were really interesting. So he found that 58.4% of yoga students reported beginning 
yoga to reduce stress and anxiety. Wow, that's an incredible amount. More than half, yeah. Stress and anxiety. And then 79.4%, so nearly 80% of yoga students continue to practice yoga to reduce stress and anxiety. So you didn't look at any other mental health issues. You only looked at stress and anxiety. But I thought that was so interesting that, I mean, we could say the majority, three quarters of students are practicing yoga for the mental health benefits. Yeah, that's quite powerful. And that ongoing practice, there must be something that draws people back to the yoga mat in terms of that ongoing sense of stress management and wellness generally that it's cultivating for them. Mm-hmm. With that, would you, would you introduce us to mental health aware yoga and you know the six pillars that, that frame your mental health aware yoga program? Sure, I'd love to. So Like you said, we have six pillars that we cover in the training. And so the first one is around knowledge of Western psychology. So like you said, we look at the DSM-5 criteria for depression, anxiety, stress. uh, Well, sorry, no, stress isn't in the DSM-5, but we look at um, stress. And then also um, trauma, we look at the DSM-5 criteria for that, but also um, we look at complex trauma as well, which isn't in the the DSM-5. So we try to understand uh, mental illness from a Western psychology perspective. Now, I think this is really important um, because because this is the language that other health professionals are using. So doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists are using. This is the language that yoga students are using as well. So they might come to class and they say, oh, I've just been diagnosed with major depressive disorder or social anxiety disorder or complex trauma or whatever it is. And it's really important as yoga teachers that we can understand that language so we can um, have that team-based approach with other health professionals and then we can we can really understand what our students are telling us when they come with these diagnoses so you know there's a lot of in the yoga world um and in the greater spiritual world there's often this dismissal of um diagnosis um and you know some people think that there's no need to diagnose some people think you know it's really important to have a diagnosis I kind of sit somewhere in the middle. I think for some people, diagnosis can be really, really helpful. You give it a name and then you can work out what to do. Um, So for some people, it's super helpful. And for other people, they don't want to be put in boxes and then we just, you know, we just let it go. But as yoga teachers, I think it's really important that we we can speak the same language and we understand this Western model of of, um, psychology and mental illness. It's really interesting just in terms of, sorry to jump in, but um, I've had other psychologists approach me asking, you know, if there are particular teachers locally that I might recommend because they have a client who might be experiencing trauma or something's going on for them and they want to refer to a safe person. So I imagine Mm -hmm. when they reach out to then someone I might suggest, or when they do their own research, they would use that language around someone might have a diagnosis of PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder or major depressive disorder. So having an understanding as a yoga teacher, what that means sounds like it could be really empowering in that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And you know, what I love about um, working in the, in the center for mind body wellness in Mullumbimby is we have this multidisciplinary team. So we, like I work there as a psychologist, uh, we have a doctor in acupuncture and kinesiology and naturopathy. We have this massage and craniosacral. We have this beautiful team there. And, you know, for some people, they just come and see one practitioner and that's fine. But for other, for other um, 
for other clients, having a team that's supporting them and that are talking to each other with, you know, complete um, transparent consent, of course, um, can be really nourishing for them. So if you, if you go into a yoga class and you have a psychologist perhaps, or some other kind of therapist who can, you know, who are on the same page and maybe if something really challenging comes up that they can have a talk and work out the best way to support you can be so nourishing for a client to have that team-based approach around them. So that, so the yoga teacher, even though um, from this training anyway, you don't become a yoga therapist. So to become a therapist, you need to do years of training. This is a much shorter training um, to, so students can feel safe and nourished in, in classes, but the yoga teacher can be, can become part of a multidisciplinary team. And if they have this understanding of Western psychology, then they can really fit in, fit in with that. Sounds really holistically focused. My, my vision is as well, we're just starting it now, is, is to have a worldwide database of mental health or yoga teachers. So um, students who want to go to a general yoga class can find teachers who understand mental health and therapists like yourself who want to refer to yoga classes um, can look it up and find teachers who have, you know, who know, so you know that they have this knowledge and understanding. That sounds brilliant and certainly needed. Thank you so much for sharing in regards to Western psychology <laughs> and how that fits into the framework and challenging. Yeah, as you said, there can be some taboo around it as well. So that's nice that it sounds mm. very, very balanced. Mm. It, what, would, what would come next in regards to the pillars? Great. So the, the second pillar is yogic psychology. So we look at psychology through the lens of Patanjali's yoga sutras. So we look at the yamas and niyamas, which are part of the sutras. We look at koshas and gunas and, and the, diff, the, the framework around yoga psychology. So the yoga teachers listening in will know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> for, every, for everybody else, we're, we're, yoga looks at, um, you know, at a, a very kind of holistic, integrative way. For example, um, we, we look at, you know, mental illness doesn't just affect the mind, it affects the body and the breath or our energy, it affects our emotions, it affects our thoughts and beliefs, it affects our capacity to connect in with our innate sense of joy, um, our ability to witness and to notice what's arising within us. So, um, yeah, so we, we look at, at psychology, we look at, um, at psychology through the lens of yoga. And that sounds like it's really dimensional. You know, you mentioned the breath, you mentioned like sense of awareness, mm -hmm. a number of different perspectives it sounds like are taken in that component. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so then the third pillar of mental health aware yoga is creating a safe container. Now this, this for me is the most important part of mental health aware yoga. And you know, maybe it's not as like fancy or sexy as, as some as you know, doing specific yoga practices or something like that. But for me, like this is probably if you were just going to take one part from this, this is the most important part, because I think showing up, you know, whether you're a yoga teacher or whether you're a friend showing up for someone, in, you know, going through a challenging time, being able to be present and, and hold the space in a way that feels safe that is so powerful and so healing for somebody. It doesn't even really matter what you say. It doesn't really matter what practices you do. If you can be present with somebody and support them to feel safe, that's powerful. And, and honestly, as a psychologist, I think that's like 
a huge part of of what I do. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It kind of, you know, even could be seen through an attachment lens in some way, someone who's there Mm -hmm. and present and can be, you know, that, that safe place where you go and seek some refuge from the chaos that might be ensuing. Beautiful way to put that. Yeah. 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 That yes. sounds incredible. So that's one of the things that sounds like you hold most dear to your heart and you've Absolutely. highlighted listeners. I hope you're listening up now, come back to us. Yeah. Creating a safe container is, yeah. is most, most important in regards yeah. to this. And, and, and like I said, this is true. Like if you're a yoga teacher, take this on board mm. for sure. But for yeah. any, you know, for anybody listening in, doing this with your kids, doing this with your friend when she's just had her heart broken, doing this with your partner when you're talking through a difficult thing, um, you know, really being present, really listening. So we learn, we learn listening skills. Um, so not trying to fix or rescue or solve, but we practice listening and doing, doing these things that, that psychologists do really well is making noises like this. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. and, you know, when, when I have, I have a podcast as well. And when I first started podcasting, I would do these little noises and then I listened to them and I was like, Oh, Lauren, you got to stop doing that. It sounds, it sounds so terrible in a podcast. But it's something like, it's so simple that you can dismiss it. But if you can be present with somebody and not try to fix it, not share your own story about it, not feel like you need to rescue them or, Oh, poor you. But, but to be present and to make some like gentle noises so that kind of encourage them to keep talking. Um, this helps to create a, to create a safe container. So maybe for people listening, and if you're not a yoga teacher and you're not a therapist, maybe you want to try this out with, with your kids or your partner or somebody and see, see how it feels for you and for them. That's a beautiful invitation and something that listeners, yeah, take away. And after, after you, finish this episode that can be you know the practice for the day (laughs) yeah great um okay and so then the fourth pillar is around therapeutic skills so really clear that this training is not to become a therapist um it's like a 50 to 60 hour training you need to spend like a few years to become a therapist but yoga can be therapeutic um so we look at some different therapeutic skills around the pacing and the rhythm of the class, um, languaging, um, things like this. Um, With the pacing and rhythm, that that sounds like something that if someone was looking to connect in with a mental health aware yoga class, because, you know, something was going on for them, that would be, I imagine, quite reassuring because sometimes the images we see of what yoga, and I say in like quotation air quotes is, Mm -hmm. can be somewhat alarming and it sometimes being, you know, a very, very dynamic, quick practice, which may, may suit some personalities, temperaments, situations, but it sounds like this is teaching the teachers how to be mindful of who's showing up and how to create a safe pace. So that's not necessarily going to be the yoga that someone might receive so just to kind of highlight that for people listening yeah Yeah. so rhythm and pace like pacing is you know for some people a really dynamic class um, can be really helpful and we talk about this in the in the next pillar the yogic practices section that what we want to do is we want to meet our students where they are and so this is important for yoga students but I mean you can think about this when you're talking to your kids or your friends or whoever as well that you want to meet meet the person that you with where they are and so if somebody's really 
anxious or kind of really work really um, like agitated, it actually can be really helpful for them to start with a really dynamic practice. If you get someone who's super agitated and anxious to do a restorative class, they'll probably like hate you for it. <laughs> be like silently cursing you and they'll be kind of twitching around and, and moving. Um, so, I mean, of course it depends, it depends on the student, but often starting with a more dynamic practice, um, can meet that student where they are, um, and support them eventually to, to downregulate. The other part of rhythms is around, um, interpersonal and intrapersonal rhythms. So we can create rhythms in the yoga class where the class moves together. Um, so you can think maybe a sun salutation where the teacher counts the students through a sun salutation or maybe a cat-cow sequence, any kind of movement where the class is moving together. And I mean, that can be, it just can be a really beautiful experience to feel that kind of harmony and, and, and synchronized movement with a class. Often if we're feeling depressed or anxious or have um, a history of trauma and we're experiencing um, some the effects of that, we can feel disconnected from other people. And so gently moving together with a group of people, whether it's moving the body or whether it's um, chanting om or singing a song, can help to um, can help to feel more connected with your community, which can which can be really amazing. Um, when really I train, powerful. yeah, I mean, when I train with Bessel van der Kolk, who's one of the leaders in in trauma work um, and and an advocate of of yoga, one of the things he suggested was um, you know singing together or throwing a ball back and forwards between each other or, or moving together in yoga class like this so I mean in the yoga context we're less likely to throw balls but I mean you could <laughs> it's <an laughs> but it's, it's it's this it, this idea of coming together and moving together or singing or chanting together that can help to bring us together and so then the other rhythm is is moving to our own own personal rhythms as well so when I teach a class some of it will be moving together um, I like to start with some at the beginning of class and we chant together depending on the, the context of course but here where I live in Malambimbi you know oming is just normal it's just part of the culture but in some contexts, like if you went into a hospital or, or in, in other in other parts of um, the world that wouldn't be appropriate but here it's culturally appropriate so we on um, and then also maybe if I'm starting a sequence I'll start when we'll all move together and then the invitation will be to tune into your own internal rhythms. So moving in accordance with your breath. So allow the breath to flow exactly as it is. And then link, sync the movement to your own natural breath. So you're creating this internal rhythm. So there's a couple of elements and that sounds really empowering as an individual to be able to connect to community and to connect to yourself and the rhythm of both. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. And so then the fifth pillar is around yogic practices. And so I think this is probably what people expect that they're going to get from this training. And we, you know, we do the four, the four pillars before we get there. Um, but what's really important is there's no like posture for depression. There's no posture for anxiety. There's no posture for trauma. Like it's not, it's not that simple. And um, so what we learn in the, in the training is around um, which practices are, are upregulating and which practices are downregulating um, and how to sequence practices to support, to meet your students where they are and then to support them to come to a more sattvic state. 
So the, in yoga, we talk about the gunas, and maybe this is interesting for anybody, is yeah. um, sattva is where we're kind of aiming to be, is, is kind of a clarity, contentment, peacefulness. This is what we're trying to, the whole aim of yoga really is to help, our yoga practices anyway, is to help us to cultivate sattva. But I was going to say clarity and contentment. Like that sounds like something that I imagine. I know I'm listening and going, oh, yes. I imagine all the listeners are going, yes, of course, that's where we're aiming. That sounds beautiful and brilliant. And I mean, that's the same reason that you would go and see a therapist, right? Or even maybe that you would go to an exercise class or go for a walk on the beach or pat your dog, like where we have this drive within us for sattva and a lot of the things we do, whether it's having a drink of coffee or having an early night, the impetus behind it is often to, to cultivate sattva, whether we're using that language or not. And so in yogic psychology, there's three um, gunas, sattva, tamas and rajas. So tamas is that kind of heavy, lethargic, more kind of depressive energy. And rajas is more that kind of anxious, overwhelmed, um, going a million miles an hour. Um, I mean, this is how I kind of felt when, when the coronavirus first kind of came to my community and trying to work out everything and how I'm going to support my clients and, and set up my center and, you know, all, all this stuff. I kind of went into this kind of rajasic energy trying to work it all out. Um, and so yoga was really helpful to help me to calm some of that rajasic energy to, to come back to a state of sattva. That's really a nice way of putting it for us to be able to look at how these different energies might affect us and where we're aiming. And I think that's a really interesting point that a lot of what we're doing in life is trying to find that space. Some of it might be effective and some of it might be less effective. And that's probably a lens that we can all learn from, you know, as individuals, yoga teachers or not, right? And, and you know, sometimes things are effective in the short term, but they're not in the, in the long term. So you might come home from a really busy day and feel really anxious and have a glass of wine and then the glass of wine turns into a bottle of wine and you know in the short term it helps you to to feel more sattvic because you feel more chilled out you drop some of the stress away but then you then you wake up the next day feeling tamasic like really heavy and kind of a depressive energy so sometimes a lot of the time what i see especially in my clinical practice is, is thing, the things that we do have a short-term benefit which is why we do them whether it's having cigarette or getting drunk or getting high or flipping through our social media <laughs> yeah, <of course. laughs> and it has like a short-term effect of or or maybe like a little movement towards sattva but the long-term benefits take us further away and I guess maybe that's related to why more people are continuing with their yoga practice in regards to maintaining mental well-being because the side effects might be might be different, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's perhaps. a lot less side effects from yoga than there is from, you know, getting drunk or getting high. Yeah, and perhaps some yeah. positive side effects. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I guess with that, would you, would you mind talking us through, you know, the final pillar of mental health crises, because mm -hmm. that is probably very aligned with what we're talking about now, how we've tried to, you know, move to this, the state of sattva in different ways that may or may not have supported us. Mm -hmm. So in the mental health crisis pillar, we talk about how we can support our students um, when things get tough. So um, it's interesting as yoga teachers, like we said, yoga teachers aren't trained as counselors and, and this training does definitely not train you to be a counselor. However, yoga teachers are really good at creating a safe container and holding space for people. And when that happens, people naturally start to open up. 
So they might not have told anybody that they're going through something, but they feel safe in a class and they'll, maybe they'll start crying or maybe they'll come up to the teacher after class and, and tell you something really, really personal. So I think it's important as yoga teachers, we can really hold that space. The other, the other thing is that some of the yogic practices can be really triggering for people. So it could be like, um, like a Kapalabhati or breath practice, which is very kind of stimulating. You pump the belly and you get the energy moving around a lot. And if you have um, a history of um, panic that could, you know, bring up some feelings of panic, or if a teacher asks you to feel an emotion and stay with that feeling of emotion and sensation in the body, which, which is something that we do in iRest. And, um, that can be, incredibly difficult and triggering for people so on on one hand this can be really helpful but it can also be really triggering so that the practices and things that we give in yoga if when if we're not if we don't have an understanding of what we're doing and this is what what i'm doing in the training is helping teachers to understand the effects of these practices so they go into them they teach them with their eyes wide open and they know the, the effects but if it's if it's not taught in the right way or um, you know, the student has some history that you don't know about. It could be, it could be really triggering. So we need to know how to how to support that. And you know, it could be the yoga practices, or it could be something that you can't control. Like you're wearing a black t-shirt, and the per you know the person who mugged them in an alleyway one night was wearing a black t-shirt and that was triggered and so that's triggering for them when they see you or the the deodorant that you wear or a phrase that you say or so we people can be triggered in our classes for reasons that we cannot predict and cannot control and it's important that we can that we know that that can happen we don't take it personally we minimize we, we minimize the likelihood of that happening as much as we can although we can't completely minimize it and we know what to do when it does happen. I think that knowing what to do when it does happen sounds really reassuring both for the yoga teacher as well as for the practitioner in the class. Like how, mm. how safe does that feel to know that if something goes on that you're going to be supported in a way that is secure, that is, mm. it sounds like taught well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I imagine that's a scary thing if you are coming to yoga with you know a vulnerability yeah yeah and it's it's really not uncommon so people can have like a big traumatic experience although in my in my experience that doesn't happen very often but I think it's important to to be um you know have the skills to be able to meet that what does happen all the time in yoga is that people cry and right you, you know, this, I know i've done it myself in yoga classes um i was chatting to my my best friend the other day we've been friends since we were born and um well since she was born because i'm three months older than her but <laughs> um, and she gave she gave me permission to share to to share this um story she um she went to she's not a yoga teacher but she loves going to yoga classes and she went to a yoga class and she has a very busy life she like heads up a hospital department she has a couple kids the whole thing and she went to the class and she started crying in in class and um, her mom had died um maybe six months before um and she'd just been super busy with life with her you know her staff and her kids and the whole thing and she came to class and she could be quiet and she could be with herself and the, student, the teacher was kind and, you know, the tears started flowing and there wasn't anything wrong. Like, I mean, we're calling the pillar mental health crisis, but crying is not a crisis. Crying can 
you know, it can feel like a crisis and it can be at sometimes, but it can also be a really nourishing thing. And, you know, to me, like it says to me that she could cry in that space, that she felt held enough to let that come. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And what a release mm. to be able to let that go and feel like you don't have to hold it all in anymore and hold it yeah. together. Yeah. But as you said, you're safe enough to let go. Yeah. And as you mentioned, like there's a quietness to it, isn't it? So our minds, you know, and I know I'm prone to this, some of our protective you know, ways of being in the world might be to dart around from one task to the another and keep really busy. Yeah, yeah. So then suddenly when there is this slowness in space, mm. things might come up that, you know, are, are presenting as an opportunity to work through, to breathe through. And it sounds beautiful way to put that. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds really nourishing that this is created as a safe space to allow. Yeah. Yeah. With all of this, Lauren, you know, where, where could people get more information? Where could people work with you? We've mm -hmm. talked a lot about the mental health aware yoga training. So if someone is a yoga teacher. I'm sure their ears have already perked yeah. up, but yeah. What are, what are the steps? You have a number of online offerings for us. I do, yeah. So if, if you are interested in the Mental Health Aware training, it's mentalhealthawareyoga.com. Uh, at the moment, the training is online. When things start to change in the world, we will go back to doing some face-to-face -face trainings as well. We did have um, training scheduled for Auckland and Brisbane um, that we've, we're postponing um, last year. or No, the beginning of the year, we did training in um, Copenhagen, and we hope to go back there um, when I don't know when it's going to be that we can leave the country when that happens um that will be happening but for now we're doing the trainings online um I'm also in the process it's not up it's not um up just yet but for those for yoga students or people who are interested in going to yoga class we are putting together a database of teachers who've done this training um so I mean this is my real passion behind this is making yoga classes a really safe and nourishing uh, place for for students and, and so my way to, to support that to happen is to train yoga teachers um, to do that so that's not quite up there yet but stay tuned it will be um <laughs> it, it it will be arriving be the other part is is that i have some other online offerings as well and if you go to my website which is lauren toba t-o-b-e-r dot com um there's some online courses there and teaching an online i rest meditation course um, and living your heartfelt desires, which is another course that brings a piece of the IRS work around uh, creating a life that you love. So it kind of brings together meditation and coaching together in a course. That's so beautiful, Lauren. And mm -hmm. listeners will put all these links in the show notes as well, because mm -hmm. connecting in, yeah, laurentober.com and mentalhealthawareyoga.com. And also you have such a wonderful presence on social media as well. I find, you know, you're capturing gratitude project, yes. for instance. Capturinggratitude.com. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also beautiful. Like these are the things that, yeah. you know, when we talk about the scrolling that we might get caught into, if we're scrolling, this is the sort of nourishment that I you know I know I personally like to be soaking up so something Amazing. that listeners might resonate with too oh good yeah so capturing gratitude is a free global happiness photographic happiness project so super simple we take photos of things we're grateful for and share them online so um think you know I was thinking about ways that I can give back and to you know leave the world maybe a little bit uh, kind of, then I found it. Um, and, you know, some of the programs are tied up with um, donating money to different organizations, but th this is a, this is a 
you know, a program that is like, okay, so you don't always have to donate money to make a difference that um, is wanting to support people to uh, acknowledge what they're grateful for. And I think in, in, in a small way that contributes to global happiness as well. So we're on uh, Instagram at capturinggratitude.com. And if you want to take some of your own photos of things you're grateful for and share them on Instagram, use the hashtag, um, hashtag capturinggratitude. That sounds like such a beautiful action. Maybe we can walk away today, practice our listening skills and find something we are grateful for and commit to sharing that so we can indulge in it a little bit longer and linger in that gratitude. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today, Lauren. It was just a delight to have this conversation with you. Great. I'm glad we finally made it happen. We planned this earlier before the the pandemic and then everything kind of fell apart at the scene. So I'm glad, we could, I'm glad we could finally make it happen. I hope that you found this interview with Lauren as inspiring and as practical as I did. I really like her framework and really shared languaging around the fact that we all have stuff as well as her tips for listening and I really hope that you will find something today to take a quick photo of to honor your gratitude for the things that make your life meaningful. Of course, you know, as a yoga teacher myself and a believer in the practice of yoga, if it's something that resonates with you and aligns with you, I hope that you are able to explore that as a safe space, a safe option for your healing. Perhaps even seeking out a teacher who is mental health aware. If you have enjoyed listening, it would certainly mean the world to me if you would take two minutes to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. As I've shared in the podcast episodes more recently, it can be a little difficult to leave a review on iTunes your first time. It's not totally intuitive. So there is a how-to video on drkaitlin.com where you'll also get all the show notes and links to Lauren's amazing work. And of course, if you are still having any issues, feel free to reach out via email, hello at drkaitlin.com or via social media. Thank you so much for joining me this week, and I'll look forward to connecting next week. All right, bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating, or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for well-being is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.